Hey, we are in our uh, series that we just began last week, DNA, DNA, and we are not talking about the biological DNA, um, so if you're just joining us, good news there, you know, not going to have a science lesson today. Uh, we're talking about the spiritual DNA of what we really believe God would have us to be as a ministry, as a local church. What does that look like? What is supposed to be part of the church here? How are we supposed to function? What is the goal to be? And we we talked about the vision last week. We looked at the concept. I painted kind of a picture for you guys of what I personally really feel in my heart God would have us to be, what he desires for this church, this local body. And we we talked about that in some specifics, and, and I gave you some pictures to paint and to think about, and I had you dream with me. Wouldn't this be great if, and, and what would it look like if, and we talked about a lot of different things, and it was just casting that vision forward that I hope and I pray with all of my heart that we can all just come together around, and like Don mentioned, in unity. That's so important. We cannot do this just one or two or three here. We need everyone together going forward, passionate, seeing the same vision, and going forward with that. That's what we talked about last week. Well, it, it's not enough to just dream. You know, it's not enough just to have a picture in your mind. It's not enough just to have a vision. That's important. That's the first step. But that's not the last step. So today, as we continue on, I want us to talk about and think about the need. The need. Last week, we looked at the dream. We established that. You can go back and, and listen to that if you weren't here. It's on our uh, website. It's also available through the podcast if you want to catch up on that. But today we want to look at what the needs are, what the plan is, and in, in seeing that vision start to be fleshed out, start to be formed, for it to become reality. Because that's the goal. That's the goal. You know, uh, every person that, that has a vision or a dream, we talked about last week, like a business owner, you know, they're always dreaming. They're always thinking about what's next, what can we do better, what can we make more of. Well, they don't stop with the dream either. Once they have a vision or a goal, you know, somebody who's starting a business or building a building, what are the, what's the next step? They gather resources, right? They take an inventory. They start putting together supplies. They talk to people about what do we need to get this vision that I have off the ground? You know, what are some of the needs that we have to have to actually make this happen and make this take place. If you're a high school or, or a college graduate, you know, you're doing the same thing. You have this goal, you have a dream in front of you. I want to go to this school or I want to have this profession. Well, now you have to kind of amass the needs to get that to happen. You, you've got you've to think about where you're going to school and what are you going to major in? What are you going to need to get to that next step? And if you're a, a new family, you know, you're, you're thinking of the future, and you have this great dream and this great goal. Uh, you're starting then, to, though, to think about specifics. All right, we want to be here, and we want to be doing this, and we want to have this in our lives. What do we need to actually make that take place? So that's what we're, what we're doing today. So here, here's what the dream that I shared with you last week. I won't go into all the detail about it again, but just so we're on the same page. The dream, the vision of F, for FBC going forward is this, that FBC would be known as a gospel-centered, that's so important, gospel-centered place of authentic community that consistently reflects Christ and his love by loving and serving one another and our surrounding area in all we do. So that's the concept. 
That's the vision. That's the dream. Now we need to have some strategy, right? We need to have some strategy for turning our dream, that dream, into reality. We need a plan. We need a plan of action. And uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, you can go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word or open it up on your phone or tablet. Uh, In this passage, we see a great example of someone who planned out the vision God gave him. Planned out the vision that God gave him. God gave Nehemiah this great desire to make something big happen in the lives of his people. God placed in his heart a burden to see things change that needed to be changed desperately. If you're not familiar with Nehemiah, he is a Jewish man, a Jewish noble, who was taken in exile, and he's serving in Persia and Syria, that region. And some people came back from Israel, and they, they told Nehemiah, Nehemiah, things are not going well, because he asked. He was, he was wanting to know, how are things going back home? You know, we've, we've been exiled, we've been captured, but people there are still going on. I want to report, tell me, how are things going back home? And the report wasn't good. They said, oh, Nehemiah, it's not going well at all. The gates are broken down. The walls are burned with fire. People are destitute. There's no hope. Everything's just empty and dark. And that broke Nehemiah's heart because he is still, you know, a Jewish person. He's, he's still part of that land, that heritage, that culture. And as he hears about his fellow Jewish people suffering and, and lacking hope, his heart just breaks. And, and he's the, the cupbearer of the king, which is a very important role. Not only do you, do you bring the, the king his cup or his food, but you're also a, a trusted advisor. You're a confidant. And in that culture, in that day, if you were to appear before the king with a, as the scripture sometimes calls it, a downward countenance, or you know, if you appeared sad, you, know, you, weren't, you weren't all smiles, then you were actually risking your life because the kings believed that your mood carried over onto theirs and that it would affect their judgment. So, I mean, if you came in with a frown or you slumped your shoulders, you were dragging in or you were sighing, they might say, off with your head. Sounds like a policy we should institute in staff. What do you think, Matthew? Sounds good in the office? All right. And uh, so here's Nehemiah. He comes in. He can't help it. He's so heartbroken over the news that he heard. He comes in. It's Monday. Monday. Monday, Monday. You know, the king looks at him and he's like... uh, Nehemiah, you okay, buddy? Do I look okay? You know, no, he didn't go that far. But um, you know, he had this, this obvious just look on his face like, like, man, my world has just come undone. It was obvious. It was clear. And so the king says, what, what's wrong, Nehemiah? What's going on? This isn't like you. Nehemiah prays really quick, does what I call an arrow prayer, shoots an arrow really quick, prayer up to God really quick. Help, help. And he, he, he's, he just spills his heart out to the king. He says, here's what's going on. You, you know where I'm from. You know what's going on. And I heard back from the people that traveled back here from Jerusalem. And, and I heard about all that's going on and, and, and how destitute my people are. And it breaks my heart. So long story short, the king says, what can we do to help you? What, what is it you're needing? Nehemiah just lays out this this desire. He says, I want to go back to my people. 
I want to help them. I want to, I want to try to motivate them again. I want to inspire them. And, and not only that, but I want to rebuild my city. I want to rebuild Jerusalem. And I'm going to need some help. And so he, he tells the king everything he needs. The king goes over and beyond even what Nehemiah asked for. And he's making his way back. And he, he's back there in Jerusalem. He's not been there very long. He's there to rebuild. He's there to encourage. And that's where we pick up. So in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, is where we'll start. It says this, After I arrived in Jerusalem, that's Nehemiah speaking, and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart. That's key. It's not just Nehemiah's vision. It's not just his desire. God gave him this dream, this vision to go back and help and get things started and changed. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. Verse 13, I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley and inspected, there's that word again, I inspected the wall. Then heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. So I said to them, there he is involving people. He's, he's getting people in on this plan, on this dream, and this vision of, of rebuilding Jerusalem. So I said to them, you see, see he's saying, you recognize it. You know there's a need. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. And, and when they heard that, here's what their reply was, their response. They said, let's start rebuilding. And they were encouraged, they were encouraged to do this good work. See, what we see in Nehemiah is a great, great example of getting a very specific vision from God, a very specific direction, a burden from him with what he wants you to do with your life. And that's very important for all of us. If you are a child of God, if you are in Christ, you, you need that. We all do. We need God to give us into our heart and into our minds what he would have us do with the time he's given us on this earth with the talents he's given us, with the gifts and abilities that we have. We need to be asking God, what is it you want me to do? What part do you want me to play, God, in your overall story? How can I be a blessing to others and, and a service to you? We need to be asking that. God, give me your vision for my life. Give me your plan and your desire and your direction. Let it supersede over mine. That's what all of our prayer needs to be. And I challenged you last week as I shared the vision for this church. I challenge you, please, please pray this with me. Get a hold of this together with me. We need to go forward in unity around God's vision that he has. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. He's saying, I have this vision. I have this strategy. I have this desire. And I'm going to share it with people. But before I get there, I'm going to have to do some inspection. Did, did you see the strategy that he was employing here? 
He's saying, I know we need to rebuild. I want to rebuild it. I've got this big plan in my mind that God has given me. I, I see Jerusalem rebuilt. Oh, it's beautiful. I see us restored in, in honor and glory to God. Oh, man, that's a beautiful picture. But before we get to that, we've got to take some inventory. We've got to be practical. We've got to, uh, what do I need to get this accomplished? You know, what supplies are we needing? What building tools are we going to be needing? How much work is there involved? So it was specific, specific. Specific stuff, strategy, very intentional. You know, and anybody who, who wants to build a building or a house, that's how they do it, right? They have the, the picture in their mind, I want it to look this way, I want it to function this way, I want it to be this way, and then it just doesn't, poof, appear, right? I mean, if you know how to do that, let me know. We need to talk, because that's, that's some pretty important skills there. But no, no, it, I mean, it takes, it takes time, it takes thought, it takes lists and it takes tasks and it takes resources you have to to work at it and strategize there's specific needs involved to turn any dream into a reality and that's what nehemiah was doing he went out kind of a covert mission didn't want anybody distracting him went out just on his own took an inventory of everything all right this wall is is broken down you know to to this degree this wall maybe isn't so bad that one over there wow that's really going to need a lot of work and he just he kept making all these lists, here's what we need, here's what we need, here's what we need, here's what we need. And then he shares all this with the people to get them involved. And he says, let's do this thing. Let's get, let's get to it. And they were, they were so encouraged to hear that God had a plan, that God had a specific person to carry out that plan, and that he wanted them to be part of it, and that there were specifics and strategies and no, none of this guesswork and sitting around, well, I don't know what we should do. What do you think? Oh, I have no idea. I don't know. There was a plan. There was, ready, there was action ready to be seized, and they were encouraged, and they said, let's do this. So w- with that in mind, I want to turn the attention back to us here today. And we've all heard the vision from last week. We've all seen that. We've all shared in that. Now I want us to kind of take an inventory. I want us to talk about the specifics. I want to share with you the strategy that we need to to employ. So on your, your message guide, your handout that you have, let's talk about some of the needs. And by no means is this an exhaustive list, okay? This is like the top five, all right? No means exhaustive. You'll hear more and more as we go forward together. But these are, these are just crucial, crucial areas of needs that we have before we can see the vision really come about and into reality, just as Nehemiah took an inventory of needs. All right, so I, I've split it up. All right, we've got our in-house needs. That's, that's needs right here in our walls, in our church, in our local ministries, us just here right now. That's, that's the first column on the left side of this chart. And then there's beyond the walls. That's, that's outside of this church facility itself. All right? that's, that's the community. That's the world. So we've got the needs right here in-house and the needs outside those doors and outside those walls. And they really are connected, as you'll see as we go through this. All right, So uh, just follow me with this. Uh, the first area of, of need on your left side there under in-house... The first thing that we desperately need here, and it may not seem like a huge need at first, as you first hear this or as you think about it, but I guarantee you this is absolutely vital. We need greeters and hospitality servants. Greeters and hospitality servants. And, and, and here's why that's so important. Because when people come through those doors, 
or the doors of any church. For the first time, it's a scary thing. I mean, you, you think about when you were looking for a church, um, and you think about all the different things you tried, and, and you just you never know what to expect. You never know what you're walking into. You, know? you never know what you're going to find. You, are the people going to be friendly? Are they going to be rude? Um, what kind of personalities are there? What kind of ministries are there? You just don't know. You know you're going into it blind, and, and it can be intimidating. It can be exhausting, you know, especially if you don't find that, that church that God has for you right away. You know, when we first moved to Virginia um, from here, you know, we were doing the whole church-looking thing, and, and we were new to the area. And, I mean, I don't remember how many churches we looked at. I mean, if you ask me, it's probably 100, right? Leanne's like, no, it was like three. Um, you know, but we did the whole thing, you know, looking at this church and that church. And um, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm tired of this. I'm tired. Let's just, let's just go to a church. Just, let's just pick it and settle. I mean, I was really in a carnal state of mind, okay? I was, I was really feeling the flesh that day. Um, like, yeah, that's a good way to pick a church. Let's just, mm, that one, you know? Um, so I, I just had said, the last one we visited was good. It was fine. Let's just, let's just pick that. And she's like, no, I really want to try one more, one more. Because we were at this... Uh, this dinner for, for the teachers of the school that she was going to be working at. And uh, one of the people at that meeting went to Faith Baptist Church in Covington, Virginia. And she went on and on and on and on about her church. I mean, she really sold this thing. And I was sitting here like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh right, right. And, and, but Leanne was really impressed. And so she just spoke up and said, well, we'll see you there Sunday. And I was like, huh? We will? We will. We'll, we'll see you Sunday. So we went in, and within five, ten minutes tops, I looked at her and I said, wow, this is a great church. It's a great church. I, I say that to illustrate something that's true all the time, everywhere. Within the first five minutes or less, in terms of church, people make up their mind of whether or not they're going to be back. First five minutes. And a big part of that, huge part of that, is that area right out there. Who do they see when they come in? Are they made to feel welcome? What does the, the introductory facility look like, the foyer, the lobby? What's it look like? Am I, am I asked, do I need help? It's so important to have a friendly face, greeting people as they come in. Again, balance. You know, you don't want to just pounce and attack but you do want to make sure they know, hey, we're valued. We, we, we represent someone that, that people view as important. You know, they, they want to know, can, can they help me? They want to know, uh, is there anything I can do for you? How can I make you feel more welcome? Friends, that is so important. And you may think, oh, I can't do anything in the church. I don't have a lot of gifts. I mean, can you smile? Can you shake someone's hand? You know, can you say, good to see you? Can you ask if somebody needs help finding the nursery or a class? Everybody's head should be like doing this, you know. Yeah, everybody can. Everybody can. And, and we need more of you. Right, right, Debbie? Yeah. Debbie is our, our wonderful greeter, hospitality coordinator. And, um, I mean, she would not, if you came to her and said, Hey, Debbie, um, I would really like to serve as, as a greeter or a welcomer. Um, she's not going to say, no, we, we don't need any more help. 
No. Um, she's not going to say that. She's going to say, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, we can go over later, and we will indeed go over at some point in the future, um, you know, just some strategy with that, with that particular ministry. But, guys, that first, that first contact, church, is so important, so vital. If there is no one there welcoming the new visitors in, we probably will not see them again. Good chance, good chance. Not a definite, but a good chance. If, if they don't know where to go, you know, they're going to say, well, I guess people here don't really care about new people too much. Um, and, and it doesn't just have to be new people either. You know, as you're an usher or a greeter or a welcomer, as you see people coming in that aren't new people, you know, just, just talk to them a little bit. Hey, how are things going? Good to see you. How's your week been? How can I pray for you? And that would go so far in creating that sense of community. So, greeters, hospitality, that's a very big, big, big vital need, and it's a very introductory need that we have to start seeing that dream, that vision, fleshed out. Now, connected with that, beyond the walls, you've got that in-house, you've got that happening in the church. Beyond the walls, it's, it's very similar, really. We need passion for evangelism and invitation. Passion for evangelism and invitation. Just as we are strategic about welcoming people in the doors, we need to be strategic and passionate and intentional about being involved, engaged with people out in our community. Sharing the only message worth sharing, that there is a Savior who came from heaven to die for you, to bring you to himself. We need to be passionate about that. Intentional, strategic. And, and as you're sharing the gospel with people, the message of hope, the message of life, the message of love, ask if they have a church family that they are part of. And if the answer is, no, no, I, I don't, I used to, or I never have, talk about your church. I mean, you're here for, for a reason, you know. You've been coming here, many of you, for a long time. You must believe in what God is doing here, you, or you wouldn't be here. Right? So, so tell them. Tell them about your church. You know, say, hey, I go to Faith Baptist Church, and by no means are we perfect there. Oh, my goodness, we're not. But, you know, God is, is doing some things in our life and in our ministry, and we would love to see you there. Be genuine about it. Be real about it. People will spot phony a mile away anyway. But we, we've got to be doing it. Uh, and there's so many different strategies. And, and, I mean, anybody you talk to would have probably a list this long of what to use and what to do in sharing the gospel and all that. But, you know, I was blown away just this week as I talked to a great, great man who, uh, if you talk to him and you come away without being excited or enthused, it's not his fault, okay? Um, he is so excited and passionate about what God has, has done in his life and what he has shown him, and he just loves to share that with people. And it's a tool that I have used, I mean, off and on throughout my whole life for my own devotion life that I never thought about using as an evangelistic tool. He was just telling me story after story after story of how he has taken this, what you know I always use just as a personal devotional book, and how he used that as an evangelistic tool to start that conversation with people. And I mean, it was, it was amazing. And then it made sense. It's like, well, why didn't I think of that? So, I mean, we've got these out there, and, and, and they're just there every week. And we've got these, we can, I mean, this is just such a simple thing that could go so far in, in a gospel uh, conversation and, and inviting people. I mean, church, if we don't share the message we have, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we really believe in it? 
we don't share it, if we don't proclaim it, do we really believe it works? Or are we trusting in something else? Are we depending on something else? I mean, um, you know, there's all kinds of strategies that are great, and there's all kinds of programs that are meaningful and, and uh, you know, that are good to have. But at the end of the day, I mean, why we exist and in through all those different programs, the, the thread that goes through everything is the gospel. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So we've got to be passionate about proclaiming that. And and it's not this big, long thing. It's who I was before I met Christ, the difference he made, and what he's doing in my life still now. And let me tell you about that. And then it's inviting them to, to this place of worship if they don't already have one. And, and again, there are, there are very specific things we can do about getting that out, and there's different ways of doing it. But, but I just want to stress to you that is an absolute need. Just as we welcome people in, we've got to go to the people that aren't in these doors yet. So it's both. Now, moving on. The second area under in-house, the need that we have that is so, so, so great, uh, oh my, is, uh, is nursery and children's ministry. We have such a need in this church for more involvement, more workers, more servants to serve in the nursery and in the children's ministry downstairs. There's just simply not anywhere close to enough workers. You know, what we have here is we have a few people that just kind of rotate and cover all of that. I mean, a handful. We've got like five, six people. And they cover all that. And, and there are entire months at a time where those people are never part of the service here. Oh, that can't be, church. I mean, if you've got 200 people and you've got 10 covering every nursery and every children's ministry, no, 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 no. That cannot happen. Um, you know, so it, it, think about it as a, as a parent. I mean, if you enjoy and appreciate being able to, to be in a service, and of course you do, and that's why those people serve. They want you to be there. But, but just think about just, just one, one week a month where you say, you know what, I'm going to give back. You know, you guys have been so overwhelming and amazing letting me come week after week after week and sit in these chairs and, and participate in the service. Thank you so much. I want to repay you by, by serving myself, you know, one week a month so that you can have that extra week here where you're worshiping and you're being fed. I mean, it, it's a team, you know? We're a team here. And every player on the team has to be involved in the game. So we need more nursery workers to watch our precious, precious infants and toddlers and be there for them. We need more people to serve in the children's ministry, the children's church and the faith training hour. Uh, We need people to come alongside those who have already done it and say, hey, you have done this so long and so well. Thank you so much. Here, you you need a a break. You know, let me give that to you. I can can teach a, a child with the gospel. I can teach them about the importance of prayer. I can love on them in Jesus' name. Let me do that. You would thrill the people involved in there now. They, they wouldn't know what to do. Or they, you would make not just their day, their week, their month, their, their year. We need more involvement in that. Um, and then in connection with that, as far as outside these walls, we, are, we have so many different uh, elementary schools and local schools right here at our doorstep. You know what we need to do here? We need to adopt a school. We need to adopt a school. 
We need to, to, to be there for these local schools, these public schools that we have. We need to be there for the homeschool community. We need to say, hey, how can I come alongside you and be a blessing to you? How can we supply needs in your student body that you can't supply? My wife's a teacher at Cranberry Elementary. She tells me story after story of families that have nothing, nothing. And they come to school, they're hungry. They come to school, their clothes are ripped. They come to school, their shoes have holes in them. They come to school, they have no book bag. They have no supplies. They have nothing. And yet they're there at school. And the school, I mean, you know, we know what schools are like here in our area. The budget is not unlimited by any means. It's shrinking all the time. Um, We could, in the name of Jesus, be the hands and feet of Jesus and supply families with the blessing of provision. And not only that, not only physical needs, but we could come alongside them. There are so many gifted, skilled individuals in this church. There are business owners and, and, and business managers and nurses and doctors and accountants. There's all kinds of professional, highly skilled, highly intelligent people in this church. We are so blessed in this church with the people we have. You know what else they need in these schools? They need mentors. They need people that are willing to volunteer just a little bit of extra time that they might have to come alongside these students and just... Teach them through, through conversation and through encouragement some basic life skills or just to let them know, hey, you have somebody that loves you. You don't have a dad at home. I may not be able to be your dad, but, but I'll show you love. I'll show you support. I'll take you to a minor's baseball game. You know, adopting the local school community that we have and, and that extends to homeschool as well. Now, uh, back, to, back to the in-house need, uh, the, the need of, for, with, with our uh, faith training ministry, faith training slash Sunday school. You know, um, unless there's participation, uh, we, we, we can't exactly just, you know, continue to have those groups meet. I mean, we have to have involvement. We have to have, have people to actually come, you know, to create more of those. I mean, it, it's so important to get into the Word of God on a deeper level. I mean, you, you know, you hear it from here, you hear it in the pulpit, and, and uh, I'm sure that many of you, if not most of you, have time on your own in God's Word, but there is something, there's something beautiful and there's something needed about going deeper with another group of people, where you, you, you study and you ask questions together and, and you dive deep together in a fellowship. And that's what faith training provides. Um, so, you know, we need, we need more involvement. We need people to actually come so that we can have those classes. You know, it's, it's kind of the, uh, the reverse of the if you build it, they will come thing. I mean, it's, it's like, hey, we want to offer more classes. We want to take that to another level, but we have to have the people first. So if you come, we will have it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the concept. Um, so that, that's a need in-house. But then uh, taking that out beyond the walls, taking that out outside there, um, we need to not just be so intellectually puffed up. We need to also be giving out and sharing and using what we learn. You know, we, we, we can be so focused on the intellectual that we forget about the application of that. You know, taking everything you hear and learn in, in faith training and other small groups and taking it out there and using it in the community. We've got so many different uh, community needs. We have... Um, opportunities to provide coats for people in the winter that need coats. We have the opportunity to provide backpacks to the students in the school, like I already mentioned. We have people that don't know where their next meal is coming from or when the last time they had a meal was. We can do things like that. We, I mean, on and on I could go. There's the Day of Hope that comes up in August. What an amazing, amazing example of what happens when a community comes together for the community. But why wait until then? Why wait till August for a Day of Hope, you know? 
We, don't need, we can have a day of hope just about every day that we provide for the community. And there's so many. I mean, I could be here all day talking about the, the different ways we can meet the community needs. So it's taking what you hear, what you learn, what you know intellectually through faith training and through the different classes and ministries and then taking it out there and actually using it, putting it to practice. Now, a uh, couple more here on our, on our in-house and our needs column. Life groups, life groups, so important. Uh, that is where, no matter what you think about it, no matter how you view life groups as a concept, let me just tell you, that is where the, com- the community takes place within the body. That's where deeper community happens. Because you can't just you know, ask questions and have open, free discussion in this context. It would, it would just get out of hand. It would be chaotic. It would be confusing. Small groups, life groups, that's where that takes place. That's where you can ask questions about things you're not sure of or things you might have doubts about. You can, you can voice those and be safe to. You can interact with one another. You can pray for each other on a deeper level. But it goes beyond just the learning and, and, and that. It, it actually is a fellowship It's where I get to know you on a personal human level. You get to know me on a personal and human level. And and we we begin to see each other, how we work and how we tick. And we we begin to, to see what happens in life on my level, and I begin to see what happens in life at your level, and we can come alongside together and, and go through life together. That that happens in a way that, that this context just simply doesn't provide. It always happens more at the smaller level. I mean, Christ modeled that himself. Out of the group of people he had, he always took smaller groups away, and he poured into them, and they poured into each other, and, and that's where you see community truly take place. Um, I was at a life group just uh, last week at, at the Johnsons, and um, uh, Cormie and Deborah have been going to that life group. I mean, how many years? I mean, over 10, right? Yeah. And, and they're, they're still there. So something must be happening that they value and that they love there, you know. Um, so life groups, you don't, you don't need to be scared of it. It, it really is a wonderful and a, a safe and a, and a needed place. And we're going to have more of that to offer. We really will. We want to expand that and, and to see that grow. And I know as a dad, one of the big issues that keeps people from maybe engaging more in life groups is, what do we do with our kids, right? That's a big question. How can we go to uh, this life group or that life group if they don't have anything for our kids and, it's, and we don't have babysitting? Well, hey, we're going to be working on that, okay? We're going to be strategizing. I've already been talking to Pastor Scott. Uh, we have some, some very specific ideas on how to address that, so stay tuned for that, okay? But uh, life groups are so, so crucial. Um, but it's not just about life groups meeting together in their own little bubble. It's about taking that concept... You know, that community that's being established and taking it out into the community and doing the same approach, meeting people where they are, loving people where they're at. And so as far as outside the walls, beyond the walls, uh, take that concept of life groups and meeting small, take it and apply it to all the different local events we've got. I mean, there are all kinds of local events that take place here. You know, you've got this festival and that festival and this festival and that festival. And, and there's like the Fridays at the park. I mean, on and on I could go. You know about probably a lot more than I do. But it, think about what would happen if we took like the, the life groups that we have meeting here and there and we went as a life group to those different community events and said, hi, we're, we're from Faith Baptist Church. This is our, our, our whatever the name is, life group. Uh, we'd love to see you come and be a part of that and be a part of our church. And, and it's serving together and it's, it's reaching out together. There is something powerful, church, that happens when people not just learn together but serve together. 
There's something powerful when people serve together. It bonds you and joins you in a way that is just amazing, but it's not just all about you. It's God will always multiply the effort of many even more than he'll multiply the effort of the one. You know, the Bible all the time talks about two are better than one, and, and, and a, a cord of three is not easily broken. I mean, there's that concept of strength in numbers. That's why Jesus sent people out, his disciples, two by two. So it's doing things like that together, reaching the community together as you grow together in your life group. And then lastly, uh, there's a great need in-house in this ministry for more discipleship and mentoring. More discipleship and mentoring. And that does not just include newly saved We've got people in this church, no doubt, that have been saved for a long, long time, but have never had somebody come alongside them and actually disciple them. In other words, train them and raise them up in the Lord. Has never gone deep with Scripture, explained theological concepts and, and, and how to study the Bible and, and how to know the Bible. There's, there's people who have never had that happen. So we have a chance to come alongside both the newly saved and, in many cases, the long-time saved and, and actually just really pour into them and disciple them. And as we see people saved and come in, that, may, that is uh, all the more need for that. But, but mentoring young men with old, older men and, and older women mentoring younger women and, and married women mentoring the, the, the non-married wife, uh, a mother and, and coming alongside them and saying, here, let me help you with, with your kids. Help, help, let, me, let me love you and your kids and, and let me just be there for you. Oh, my goodness, the difference that would make. The difference that would make. And that's just in the house. And then um, beyond the walls connected with that, with discipleship and mentoring and, and just being there alongside people, raising them up, strengthening them. Uh, beyond the walls, you know, we've got two amazing ministries right now. Brian Safehouse, guys, so good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you. We've got Brian Safehouse. Now we have Sparrow's Nest. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? We've got Sparrow's Nest. So now men and women who need help and love and encouragement and strength and guidance can get it. But, but why depend on the limited staff of Brian Safehouse and Sparrow's Nest to do all that? Makes no sense. We've got a church full of people with the knowledge of Christ, the heart for Christ. I know you have the heart for Christ. I know you do. We've got all that. We've got knowledge. We've got skills. We've got resources. Wouldn't it be amazing, and, and let me just tell you, it's needed, and Leon would, would agree to this, for us as a church to come alongside Brian Safehouse and Sparrow's Nest and disciple and mentor and guide and encourage and pray specifically, not just overall pray for the ministry, but pray specifically like by name for the people involved in those groups and give them uh, gifts of, uh, for their birthday or special days and celebrate their life as they're going through these amazing ministries. It's needed. I guarantee you, Danita and Leon, if we come to, to you guys and we say, hey, you know, um, I've been at this church for so many years and I know about your ministry. Um, I would really like to get involved. Uh, can I help? Can I serve in some way? There's no way you guys are going to look at somebody and say, no, no, we don't need you. Right? You're going to say, yes, absolutely. Let me give you this list of things we need and where you could fit into that. So it, it's, it's right there at our doorstep, guys. It's right there at our doorstep. Two amazing ministries that we can disciple and mentor the, the people involved in that as we are discipling and mentoring people right here in the ministry itself. Now, saying all that, how do we do that? I mean, those are all specific needs. Those are strategies. There's your inventory, you know things that are needed to take the vision from dream to reality. 
taking it to the next step, seeing it actually happen. But, but, but how? Like, what do we need to get the needs going, you know? What do we need to get the needs going? Well, the key to it all is found, I believe, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. And in Philippians 2, Paul there gives us this great, great source of motivation and challenge. It really all comes down to verse 5 that I'll read in a second. But the key to it all, to all that happening, those needs that I just shared, in-house and beyond the walls, <clears throat> the key to making that all actually take place is, is that right there, Philippians 2.5. That we all individually and then together as a church decide and we choose to make our own attitude, our mindset, our heartbeat, that of Christ Jesus. That's what it all comes down to. That if I make my attitude that of Christ Jesus, which we'll see fleshed out here in just a second. If you make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, we're doing that individually and then we we all come together and do that together. uh, That is what will make this stuff actually happen. So that being said, here's what verse 1 says. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, which we would all say, yes, there is. If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, we would all say, well, there are those things. Yes, there is. Okay, so Paul's being rhetorical. He's saying, yes, of course there is all of those things. So here's what we do about that. Then because of that, because there is all of that in verse 1, verse 2, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. Having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. What word do you see summing up this? Starts with a U, give you a hint. Unity. Unity. See that over and over. That's what John 17 is all about in, in Christ's high priestly prayer. That's what we see in Acts 2, as we, as we saw last week, the, the early church as they came about. And we said that was our, kind of our pattern for the dream and the vision that I shared. It was unity. It was, it was this. Having the same love, the same feelings, the same affection, the same goal. Working together toward that goal, which is Christ exalted, Christ honored, Christ proclaimed. Do nothing, verse 3, out of rivalry or conceit. But in humility, and humility is not weakness, let's clarify that. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. That's you than me. That's the concept. <clears throat> That's the principle. You go first. No, no, you go first. No, you go first. <laughs> it's you than me. It's servanthood. It's putting others ahead. It's saying, I am second. Verse 4, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, which we're all really good at. <laughs> we're really good at looking out for our own interests. Got that down. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And there's that verse 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. The question implied there is, okay, well, what was Christ Jesus' attitude? If we're supposed to make our own attitude like Christ Jesus, what was his attitude like? Well, here's the answer. Verse 6. Who, Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, in other words, Complete deity, that's what that's saying. Complete 100% deity in his nature, who in his nature was divinity, did not consider equality with God, which he had, as something to be used for his own advantage. Other translations say, as something to be grasped onto or grasped after. It's the idea of those of you with small kids or remembering when you had small kids, uh, you'd walk and they'd hold on to your leg, you know, and you're doing this number. (laughs) 
Okay, okay, buddy, okay. You know, they hang on to you and you're just dragging them along. That's, that's what is, is actually here in the literal. It means he did not just grab on and refuse to let go. That's not what he did. Although that would have been his prerogative. He did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, manipulated. Instead, he, Jesus, the creator of all things, the eternal son of God, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. That means the eternal son of God, the creator of all the universe, the omnipotent, omniscient Lord of all the universe, added on to his deity, he added on humanity in all of its limitations Isn't that amazing? And when he had come as a man in his external form, in other words, he did not cease to be God, he, verse 8, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Friends, that is our example. That is our ultimate example. Jesus Christ lowering himself, saying, No, I will serve you. I am here to serve you. As Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and he gave his life as a ransom for many. That's our example. That's our pattern. You, then me. How can I help you? How can I be here for you? And that's how we get the needs actually taking place and, and going into action. That's how we see this. That's the fuel for all the needs that I shared here in that box that you have. The fuel. Thinking of others higher than yourself. Being a servant to all. Let me serve so that you can not have to serve every single time. Let me serve so that, that you can know Jesus Christ. Let me serve so that you can find a home and a family here. On and on it could go. That's the fuel. So here's, here's what it all comes down to. I have some homework for you. This is need. Next week is action. A. Ahead of next week, what I want you to do, please do this for me. Bless your new pastor's heart, okay? <laughs> Take this. Keep this. Don't throw it in the trash. Don't leave it in the console of your car like we all do take this keep this before you put it on your fridge put it on your mirror put it on your nightstand whatever wherever you're going to have access to it keep these needs in front of you okay please pray begin now begin now praying specifically god where would you have me fit into those needs you know how i can meet these needs even more than i can i'm willing god so first of all pray for you to have a willing heart god that god would give you that willingness Once he gives you, and as he gives you that willingness, because he will, when you ask, he will give that to you. Say, okay, God, I'm willing. You've given me that willingness. Now plug me in. You lead me. You direct me on how I, myself, me, can be a part of meeting those needs that I heard about last week. And do please do that all week long. Just commit to that daily, please. Because then next week, I'm going to have an opportunity for you to respond very specifically, very intentionally. I'm going to have um, some sort of container uh, placed where, where I will have uh, the ability for you to have a slip of paper that you check off where you would like to be plugged in. And, and please understand, some of this is still forming. So it's not like you jump right in, necessarily, as soon as you sign on the dotted line. What that means is you'll, you'll be contacted and, and we'll talk to you about how we could use you and where we could plug you in. And if you have questions, we'll try to answer those questions. This is just getting the ball rolling, okay? It's getting the thing started. It doesn't mean, oh, well, I put my name in that basket and then next week I'm going. No, 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 no. No, we'll work with you, okay? It's just we, we need to know 
who is willing and who is able. All right, so pray about it. That's your homework. Be ready to act. That's next week. All this is useless and pointless unless we put it into action, right? Has to go to action. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the example of Nehemiah. Thank you for the example of Jesus that Paul so powerfully puts on display in Philippians. Please work in our hearts, work in our minds. Show us what you would have us to do. Show us how you would have us to be. All for your glory, all in according with your desire and purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.